Bernardi, and this is the Job Hunting Podcast, where I interview experts and professionals and discuss issues that are important for job hunters and those who are working to advance their careers. So make sure that you subscribe and follow, and let's dive right in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Job Hunting Podcast. In this episode, we are interviewing Jacinta Willen an executive search professional or headhunter specialized in entering executive search. Entering executive search is more mature in some markets than others. I would say that in Australia, it's probably still growing. It has a lot of growth yet to come. And I wanted to interview Jacinta because there was a lot of growth and interest right before COVID. And I wanted her experience. I wanted to hear from her what her forecast was on how that growth and that market demand and supply would pan out following COVID and if the interest was going to grow or diminish I'm pretty sure it's going to grow for the reason that there are so many good professionals now in the market and so much uncertainty in the market that the situation lends itself well for an interest in hiring people for shorter periods of time so that we can make use of that excellent workforce and then decide how the organization is going to grow, where it's going to go. It's all pretty much new grounds for many industries and sectors at the moment. However, the challenge for somebody like Jacinta is that people that are interested in being a candidate for entering executive search have usually opted into it for a lifestyle reason and to build a portfolio career. So for example, I am a candidate for entering executive search. I am on the bench. I have done contracts in the past and I really enjoy it because I can step into an organization not as a consultant, but as an operational member of the team, somebody who is going to lead a project, get their hands dirty, be leading a team or a group of people or a specific project, as I said, and will be there for a, a period of time and then we'll step out. And the reason why I enjoy that is because I have a finger in many pies. I have this project, the podcast, I do career coaching, I do consultancy in business transformation, and I work with mind tribes in the culture and diversity space as well. And I want to have additional time to spend with my family and fly overseas to see my parents when I'm able to do that again. Who knows when that's going to happen, but that's the idea. The idea was that I was going to become a portfolio professional, somebody who has the command and control over their time and how they want to spend it and with whom. Whereas in the past, I have 
worked as a permanent employee and had to work full time and could only have a certain amount of annual leave per year and so on. So that, you know, as I got older and my parents got older and my interests changed, that wasn't suitable for me anymore. At least not for now. You know, those things can change over time and it could be that I want to have a full time employment in the future. Right now for me, I'm really enjoying the flexibility that I have at the moment. So in addition to people like myself who are the candidates for entering executive placements, we now have a large number of professionals who could be coming into the market, possibly preferring permanent roles, but could access short-term contracts so that they can have an income for a short period of time and get a foot in the door of an organization. And Jacinta would be the right person to be asking those questions. How are we going to manage that excess supply? And is there an interest in the um, demand side for that excess supply? So stick around and hear what she has to say. Another interesting aspect of entering executive work is that it has this hybrid situation where it's partly to do and involved in executive search and partly to do and involved in with contract work. And contract work or freelance work. And it goes all the way from, you know, your Uber driver, your creative freelancer working from home, all the way to a senior executive with a C-level experience who now wants to step in as an interim CEO or an interim head of operations, for example, and help an organization for three, four, six months and then step out. So, It's a new way of engaging people and things are changing quite rapidly in that space. Legislation has to kind of follow suit and make sure that people that didn't decide to opt into this, you know, the casual workforce has the all the benefits that it needs to have and the safety nets that it needs to have to support families support individuals who are in a more precarious situation than they would have been if they had a permanent employment with all the the benefits of all that comes with full-time employment. Whereas people like me, we decided that we wanted to be freelancers. And, and it's not just because we're older. You know, my son, who is 26, is a freelancer as well and works for himself, has his own company. So it's something that we need to think. It's something that comes with being in the 21st century and post-COVID, I think it's um, a conversation that we will need to have and a plan that we need to incorporate as part of our career. Before we dive in, a quick note about the Job Hunting Podcast and recent changes and evolutions that it went through during this COVID quarantine. So the Job Hunting Podcast is now listened to in over 50 countries, which is amazing, really, for a podcast done in Melbourne, Australia. Most of the listeners are from the US and Australia. It's equally divided between the two. But we do have quite a, a large number of listeners from all over the world. And that's really fantastic to hear. Hundreds of downloads each week, which is also amazing. And most of the downloads are still from the very first episodes. 
the first episodes were all very much focused on job interviews. And I think that um, listeners are voting with their feet. And I will go back into the basics of job interviewing, resume building, and all of those important things that we need to start doing now as we go back into post-lockdown, go back into the workforce, go back into job hunting. And I want to support people all over the world, professionals all over the world with those very important aspects of job hunting. So stick around and you will find some interesting episodes coming up. There has been a decrease in numbers of listeners during the COVID right at the beginning of March, mid-March, and that was a bit scary for me, but we have since recovered and listeners are back listening again, and I can understand that. And I know that this is not just the Job Hunting Podcast. It happened throughout the podcasting world when people switched off a podcast and started listening to the news as they should, and now it's time for us to go back to our podcasts and start learning again or entertaining ourselves again, which is fantastic. So welcome back. If you've been away, I'm glad that people are coming back and listening again. Thank you so much for the loyalty that many of the listeners have shown over the past few weeks. And um, I'm really excited to have such a, a large number of listeners. I have since changed the episodes to be released on Tuesdays. And the reason being is that I also do live coaching sessions every week. And I have done the new sort of schedule for my week so that we have a a podcasting episode launched on Tuesday and the um, live coaching sessions on Thursdays. And it means I have two touch points with my followers every, every week. And I think that that's great. So the episodes are now available on many more places. In addition to iTunes and Spotify, Google Podcasts has become quite big all of a sudden. Uh, Podbean is where I host the podcast and many people still access via Podbean. But YouTube has become quite interesting for us. We're adding YouTube to the picture more and more because with COVID, we've been filming some of the episodes. So if you want to watch us uh, talk, (laughs) not in this episode as such, but many others have been recorded uh, with video. So you can go to YouTube and also YouTube has the live coaching recordings as well. But most importantly, the podcast website is fantastic because it has everything. It has the podcast, it has the live coaching sessions. And if I do TV interviews or radio interviews, we um, if we get the footage, we add to the website as well. So all of the content is there for you. So how you can keep up to date is by following the podcast wherever you like to listen to it and signing up to the newsletter because I could then send each new episode for you every Tuesday morning in addition to the live coaching recordings from the previous Thursday. And I could let you know what the next live coaching will be about so that we know the topics ahead of time. And if it's an interesting topic for you, you might want to join live. They are recorded, but you can watch live on my Facebook page, my Facebook group and Instagram. So 
that's um, another way for you to be engaged with me. And also the newsletter means that you have this direct line with me. You can reply back with ideas or questions if you want to. I, I get lots of feedback that way. It really helps me build the content for the podcast, for the newsletter, the life coaching sessions and everything else that I do. Go to my website because there you will find everything that I do, uh, my coaching, the online course, the new services that I'm developing. Now I'm making the coaching more and more accessible. And I know that many people think that career coaching can be expensive, but what I'm trying to do is really democratize something that I think is really important for professionals and, and making it as accessible as I can for you. So in addition to a lot of free content via the podcast and the live coaching that I do, I'm offering a range of very cost effective services that you will be able to find out more when you go to my website, including things like LinkedIn audits and hourly sessions, just things that can really make a difference when you're negotiating a salary or getting ready for a job interview or just making sure that you're on track when you're going through your job hurting pursuits or planning your careers. Go to my website, see what I can offer. And it might be that um, just having that little bit of investment could make a huge difference in the outcome of your job hunting. So here's my chat with Jacinta Whelan talking about entering work, contract work, why professionals opt into this type of work, the growth in supply of candidates and demand from employers, and our best guess for what the market for entering work will be like post-COVID. I hope you enjoy the chat. Please stick around, subscribe and keep in touch. And know that all the links that I mentioned in this introduction are on the episode show notes. Links to my website, to sign up to the newsletter, where to find this podcast. It's all in the episode show notes. Okay, bye for now. How have you been? Yeah, good, really good. It's um, We have uh, got some assignments coming through and we're still talking to lots of people, but um, it feels like the beginning of activity. So that's nice. Not have, lots of volume, but, you know, trickling through one or two a week, which is great. Have you noticed that after this initial period where nobody knew what to do, things are going back to normal or people are taking more action now a few weeks after the initial lockdown? I feel like people are not in a scared state. They're not in a frozen state. So they have some sort of forward motion. Uh, now, that'll, that's a bit different for everyone, but before it just felt like pure triage survival. Okay. Um, so people couldn't really sort of just move through some of the normal business decisions you need to make. So it feels like people are starting to get back to that. But I'm not seeing, um, I'm not seeing sort of huge waves of brand new activity. I think they're just picking, not picking up where they exactly work. I think that's impossible. Mm -hmm. But they're picking up their business. And are the assignments COVID-related assignments or are they just assignments that you would have at any given time? Just assignments we have at any given time. Right. Interesting, isn't it? Yeah. That's what I'm seeing also in the jobs that are currently advertised on LinkedIn. Mm. Lots of interesting jobs advertised on LinkedIn, mm. but they just look like normal jobs that were just like, okay, we were hoping to get this person in, might as well, you know 
put the job ad out there and see what we can fish out of the market. Mm. They didn't look like they were put, quickly put together. You know, they were thought through job applications and new positions that probably have been decided months ago. Exactly. And they're the ones, so for Gen in search, we're working on some really senior people for the NDIA and they're, you know, they're government jobs. They're not, they're not rushed decisions. These are positions that are needed. This is just happens to be the time they need them. Um, we're doing some interim CEOs of not-for-profits and um, mental health, which, which has a, a big caseload, but they've always been busy. And so this person just isn't the right fit to take it forward. But it's not specific to COVID. It's, it's more just a, a natural business cycle need. I see. Let's talk about your career, Jack. Mm-hmm. Tell, tell the listeners of this podcast how you came about t- to become one of the key partners in interim executive management in Australia. What led you to where you are today? I think a lot of serendipity, Renata. I think um, most people would probably share that about their career. And um, I'm an accountant by background. So that's um, a long way from um, where I am today, but a, a lovely journey and, and one I've enjoyed. I uh, was lucky enough to get a scholarship straight out of school and so I went and studied with an accounting firm over six years where you study at night and... Um, and work for the firm during the day. So I did that for six years and then was pretty hungry to go overseas as a young Aussie, as we do, and um, got a job in banking and doing temping in London, as most um, people could relate to who had that experience. And on my way home um, from London, stopped off in Hong Kong just for a holiday. And the person I was travelling with was um, called into a firm called Michael Page, Um, to go for a job interview and I was sitting in reception waiting for them so we could go on our tour of Hong Kong and uh, someone came out of that office and said "Um, are you here for a job are you the same skills as the other person we're meeting I said I am the same skills but I'm not here for a job and they said we're really busy in Hong Kong could you interview for a couple of jobs and I I sort of thought why not Uh, that day 12 interviews later they asked me if I would start uh, from its inception their interim or their contracting business in Hong Kong. And um, that came out of the blue. I had no inclination, had no reason why they should have asked me. Uh, they clearly saw something there that uh, I hadn't considered. Um, I said, look, I'm on my way home to Australia. I better, uh, I better at least do that. I haven't been home for many years. So let me think about it. Can you give me, this was the 1st of December. Can you give me till the 24th of December and I'll decide. And uh, so I went back to Australia and thought that seems as good as opportunity as any and it saves me having to come home and grow up, um, so why not? So I rang them back on the 24th of December and said, um, I'll take it. And you know, went back a couple of weeks later. That was in 1997. I uh, went up there without knowing the soul and started what was the interim contracting desk in Asia. Uh, so that was an interesting time. The Asian financial crisis uh, was all hitting. It was the handover time, the Hong Kong back to China. So really fascinating time to be in Asia and starting an interim business in that market where there's a whole lot of social implications to having a permanent job versus an interim job uh, in an Asian context. And you know, there's a whole lot of sort of safe face and different things like that in that marketplace. So introduce a brand new concept there was a challenge. I didn't know any different, which is probably lucky. Didn't know how hard I had to work. 
And after three years of doing that, um, the firm was thinking of opening the same operation in New York. So they asked me to go and start that in New York. Again, um, hard to believe that in 2000, New York didn't have an interim or a contract market as we know it now. It seems such a common part of how we all work that to think that these had to be set up at some stage um, feels like a long time ago. And it is a long time ago now, that's 20 years. Uh, so I was in New York for a period of time doing that in New York and then um, thought I should come home to Australia. It's my home, it's where I wanted to be. So I came home and have set up, um, this is my third interim business um, over that sort of 20 year journey. Uh, so I've always been really passionate about uh, my interim section of the market. I, you know, I've always sat within a more search type business where you had permanent hires and an interim hire. I've always been the early adopter in known markets um, of a new product for a business, which is the interim market. So I've got a real passion for the setup phase. I love it. Um, love the, the education piece of interim. Um, love the matching piece. Love hearing people's stories. That's, um, you know, I get the beauty of telling my kids that I meet interesting people every day. So that's that's the beginning of my journey. And um, so I've always been interim across my whole 20 year journey. And it's been fascinating to watch that space grow from what was a really small part of the market. I'm going to say 2 3% of the sort of employment market to, you know, a, a sort of a, a really slow build of sort of, you know, maybe up to 5% and then 10% to where we are now, uh, which is sort of, you know, some of the statistics around the world would suggest um, that sort of 40 to 50% of the marketplace is now engaged in a contingent manner, you know, contingent can mean a lot of things and we can go through that, but um, my piece of the business has been on a really slow and steady rise for a long time and I saw a tipping point in Australia, different markets have embraced it differently. So Europe sort of has um, embraced the concept of interim probably much earlier. Uh, I think the GFC for the rest of the world was their tipping point for embracing interim. And, and in Australia, we probably didn't have to embrace it as quickly for a whole lot of um, economic reasons. Um, and then what I saw about two or, or maybe three years ago now was a real tipping point in Australia for people to embrace and what you needed, you always need supply and demand of a, a marketplace for it to really thrive. So you you could argue that prior to the tipping point in Australia, you had either the demand side where clients and companies wanted talent um, engaged contingently, but the supply side, which is the people and the individuals and you and I, didn't necessarily want to engage that way. Um, and, and the real changes come because the supply side or the people side of it are saying, actually, this is a way that's really interesting for me to engage in how I work. Um, that would be helped a lot by demographics and a whole lot of sort of other factors that come in um, to why we think differently in our stage of life. But I think that tipping point happened about three years ago in Australia. We're caught up to the rest of the world. And I think... Um, COVID will actually be be the piece that really takes away any final um, underlying Re doubt. Res or, reservations. Yeah, reservations mm. um, of, of this as a way of working. And the biggest 
theme I see coming out of COVID is is what it's blown up, for want of a better word, is the how the contractual arrangements happen between how someone engages in meaningful work is is no longer relevant. So people want interesting work. Companies want talent to deliver on business initiatives. And in the past, there was only one acceptable way that that happened. A company employed you under a full-time permanent engagement, and that was sort of it. Mm. And what we've now seen is that organisations are saying, we still want the same outcome. We want the work done and you want the interesting work. What does it matter how that arrangement looks at the back end? So what, what does it matter what the contract looks like? whether it's a permanent, whether it's fixed term, whether it's a contract, we now have to be very open, companies have to be very open to saying we'll get the talent how we can um, and that is being met by a supply side of people saying I'm open to working in interesting work and it matters less to me okay. whether that is how that contractual arrangement looks. So let me stop now and just kind of bring some definitions to the table for the listeners as well. So if we think about contingency workforce as a workforce that is brought into an organization to work without a permanent contract, mm-hmm. and they could be from the casuals and the freelancers and the contractors that come in for projects to entering executive, which is what you work with and yes. and focus on so there's a, a range of contingency type work workers that can come in you would think that the interim executives are sort of the senior leaders that could come into the organization to support leadership and operations how would that group let's compare and contrast interim executives with permanent hires in that sphere what is different between hiring somebody permanently or on a longer contract very rarely you would find senior executives hired permanently these days it's a three-year contract a five-year contract if they're lucky right what's different about entering it probably is fundamentally the engagement contract so to your point, um, the average tenure of a CEO from a lot of statistics gathered around the world is, is somewhere between two and three years, depending on what country. But that's not, that's not a forever proposition by any stretch. So I think we're probably further along the acceptance of executive level roles are a certain tenure and that tenure is being reduced. Now, the difference between interim, I would argue that your output's still the same. You are being asked to deliver a certain output based on your skill set. And the key difference between someone who's permanent will be and an interim will be how they're engaged with the company. But but most people would probably sort of that that's one aspect of it. Most people would probably also then sort of challenge and say you've got your business as usual people so you've got business continuity and history of an organization and that for the most part probably fits with your permanent staff because they are the ones that are there setting the strategy executing the strategy seeing the strategy through and you know over a period of time and an interim will be brought in for points in time to deliver a skill set so it may be that a business has a strategy um, and they're on any point in that strategy journey and there are skills that are needed for pieces of that strategy to roll out. And so you can borrow talent 
and a skill that's right for the time. And that's, I think, the key difference. You'll have ongoing permanent employees who are there to see the strategy right through, and you'll then borrow shorter-term bite-sized chunks of skill sets to be able to say we need, um, and it can be anything from, you know, it might mean you need a change management executive or a procurement person or an IT person for different parts of your business journey. So that's, I think, the key difference. Mm. So I'm an interim candidate. Yes. I consider myself on the bench at the yes. moment. Yes. Uh, the reason why I've decided a year ago, a year or so ago, to come and see you mm-hmm. and talk about this and position myself as an interim potential entering CEO or head of uh, transformation and other roles that you and your clients might find suitable for for me to come in and and support them is because I wanted flexibility. I, I opted it to have flexibility in the types of work that I, that I do. And ironically, the flexibility I needed was so that I could travel back to see my parents, <laughs> something that I won't be able to do for the foreseeable future. But that was a really important thing for me. Um, as I get older and they get older, I wanted to more and more position myself and build that reputation of somebody that can, can step in and out of roles for eight months, six months, and then step out and have a break and, and care for my parents. What are the other reasons why candidates would opt into what is a very volatile way of getting income, isn't it? The, the volatility of income would be probably one of the bigger pushback points that we get mm. from people because we are very, the, the, the normalised situation for us is that we, or the social engagement we've engaged in says that we sign up with an employer we agree a salary and they drip feed that salary to us once a month or once every two weeks for a period of time. So there's a lot of society framed around that. And then to have sort of a volatility of your income does require some different thinking. Um, so to come back to, to your question, what are the traits or what are the reasons that people choose to do interim? For the most part, I find, and just also coming back, I work with senior executive people. So, you know, my reference point for this discussion will be um, the sort of the senior executive market, but happy to sort of talk a little bit broader about what it means for other stage of life people. But in the interim executive market, it's often a stage of life. So some of the themes that people tell us are absolutely want variety, flexibility, and they're at a stage of life that they can, their risk profile says that they can afford this, afford this in more than just money terms. They are now at the stage of life that they're saying things like, um, the kids have grown up, the mortgage is maybe under control, um, I've got elder care issues, I want some flexibility for a whole host of things. Yours was travel, some people's to you know, run marathons, some's to write a book. Uh, so people are stage of life, more than age, I think, and that's the bit that often gets lumped in together that you have to be a certain age for this. It's really not. Everyone's circumstances are so unique. And it's, it's what are your personal drivers that will weigh up whether this is right for you. But what are the, the common traits of the individuals, I find, who do well at this? Uh, they are mostly the people who are thrown at problems in an organisation. So even when you're in your permanent job, you were the person who was given the hard to solve, the one who would deal well in an, with ambiguity, sort of not necessarily need or crave a business as usual environment where you sort of know the end of every month you do your accounts or at the every, end of every you know, 
every other Thursday you run the payroll. So the traits of people who really enjoy an interim lifestyle means that you've got to hit the ground running. You're not often given all the, not through any sort of intent, you're not given the parameters, but you're in real-time situations where things change. And so you need to be quite a nimble, agile thinker of how you solve problems. Um, the interim executive level pool will often come with you know, a wealth of experience, 20, 25, 30 years experience. So over that lifetime, there's not much you haven't seen, but the real reason the client is buying your skills for a point in time or borrowing them, as we would sort of say, is because you are bringing a currency and a recency to a problem that they're trying to solve and your combination of your long tenure and your long history and some really re recent skills is really interesting to the company. And they're saying, we don't have that sitting around in our permanent pool of people. We want to complement the very good executives we've got, but you as an interim are bringing something that we don't have to the table and we'd love to borrow. So there's some of the sort of the traits or the reasons that, um, that people get into this, but an overarching theme is often the stage of life that people are at to even start to think about this. Mm. Yes, this, this has been a trend and something that has been flourishing pre-COVID. As you said, you've been working on this for over 20 years. Mm -hmm. Some countries have been early adopters and, and, and you've been the igniter of countries and regions that you know decided it was time for them to adopt entering executive management as part of their portfolio now we have this situation in Australia where we were working towards developing a better understanding of this. In fact, you with Watermark made a submission to Senate on the Future of Work com Committee on this issue, in fact. Would, how do you see that submission and that work that Senate inquiry is doing now that we have COVID happening? What would be the next step for employers and policymakers to think about on how we progress our thinking about engaging contract workers? Yeah, you know, it's, it's a lovely um, and pleasing to know that the government are putting the thought into an awareness, if we take a step back, an awareness that the way we work is changing and then putting the thought around what does that mean for us as an economy? And importantly, what um, safety measures and safety nets do we put in, in as a society to make sure that this is well-serving for us as a community and as a society? So the inquiry was probably the government's sort of first initial step of acknowledging that this is a big part of our uh, the way we work now. And the submission was pulling together the different viewpoints of, of what this is so that they can frame up some policy and some rules and some regulations around the gig economy. And the gig economy is really broad. It goes from everything from your Uber driver, your, um, your, your Airbnb host, right through to an interim CEO, which is the area that, that we would work in. But the gig economy is so broad that it's, it's often all lumped up together. So when people, there's no one word that's been settled on for the gig economy. We would call out people interim executives or portfolio professionals. Um, I'm not sure that's how Uber drivers 
you know, what they're called. But they're all lumped into this word called gig. And so I think the society hasn't yet defined the levels within what a gig economy means. And the Senate inquiry is one basis and one full major way of being able to do that. And so it's a very early stage, really important that the government even has acknowledged it. Um, they had some really good submissions from everything from the, you know, Atlassians and the uh, Airbnbs and the Ubers um, through to the unions and their view on what it is to, you know, business models like ours that have made a, um, you know, a commercial business around um, what this is. So that there's, there's all these different lenses looking at what the gig economy is. So I'm really aware that ours is one lens. The Senate inquiry tries to bring all of those viewpoints together and start to get get a national discussion around how we um, how we regulate this. And and I think of it in terms of this is almost the Uberization of work, because the regulation always follows the innovation. You would have never set up the rules for Uber before it existed because it just wouldn't have made sense. But what happened is a market force comes in and People will have a view whether it was right, right or wrong, but a market force comes into play and then the government sort of says, we've got to catch up with some rules here. And that's what regulation is. Regulation will always follow an innovative idea. Um, and it's, it's the right way to do it. You need to know that it's got some currency. You need to know that it's sort of going to stick around. You need to know that it becomes legitimate. And only then do you put rules around it. So this, the Senate inquiry was almost acknowledging that, the uberization of the way we work and saying, let's follow up this market force that's coming down the line with some rules. Yes, because what we've described before about the, I wouldn't say the typical entering worker, but the, the one that opts into entering mm. executive is a very privileged position. Is somebody that has been proactive and has a very um, big level of control over their portfolio career and how they, they go about managing that. I've worked with you before and I have seen professionals that have lost their jobs and feel uh, very unsettled about their next career steps and not knowing if they will get a permanent job then opt into injuring as what they think is a, a, an easier step you and i know that it's not so we can uh, unpack that but i'm i'm wondering what entering executive management and recruitment will look like post covid if we will see more of that um, now that companies don't have um, good forecasting tools, you know, we're looking at you know, more rapid decision making and maybe the inability to think too uh, far ahead and lock somebody in for two years. They might bring somebody on board for a shorter amount of times. Is that what you're thinking as well? I mean, I'm thinking out loud here. I'm just brainstorming with you. But I want to kind of... Um, think about the candidates that are not opting into entering by choice like okay. I did, yes. but because of the situation that we have, we have now and what sort of advice you would give them if they're in this kind of in-between position where they would prefer a permanent role, but they don't have it and it's not there for them. Yeah. And um, I think, um, to share, we are absolutely hearing from our clients that they're going to be thinking on shorter um, horizons. They, 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 they just don't have the ability um, at the moment to sort of 
forecast out for, you know, three, let alone five years. So I think businesses are going to, you know, I would say agile, but agile has sort of a, a become a buzzword. But when I think of agile, I think of this iterative process where you have to sort of, I've used the word, but bite-sized chunks, you have to do things in, in, in a time frame that you can test, um, learn, either go forward or retreat and away you go again. So under that framework of a post-COVID world, I think what we're going to have is these essentially two streams of interims. I think you're going to have the interims who, like yourself, are very deliberate and chosen and thoughtful um, and have been long planning, sort of a career that is a portfolio career and you want to do a combination of things. What I absolutely see and hear um, sort of another type, which is almost like a hybrid executive um, of um, someone who finds themselves in the marketplace at this point in time through circumstance. Uh, their ideal is um, back into a permanent role because that's our frame of reference. Uh, I, when we talk through what an interim is for most people, when they haven't really considered it, most of it go, oh, that's what it is. I hadn't thought of that before because all I've ever thought about is permanent. I didn't know there were other options. So you have people who've given it a lot of thought um, and, you know, have set up their own business and already doing this proactively themselves. Um, and they, any market evolves. So you have a self-sustainable early market, which is probably people like you. But I think we're in this sort of really fascinating point where... Um, the, the people who had never considered this before um, because they'd never had to will be considering it and I think um, they'll be considering it and that will morph what the market wants from people. So they'll be coming to us and they already are. Clients are coming to us and saying, um, you must have good people in the market because we're, we're seeing who's out there. We're seeing people available. Um, you know, can we... Um, can we have a look at who's in the marketplace ready to go pretty quickly because we need them turned around pretty quickly and and that's you know, the piece where I feel the bit that's off the table is how to engage them that's almost the second dis discussion we have the first discussion clients come to us and say, say I need someone I need this skill set to help me and say great we can help you with that skill set and only once we've identified the skill set do we all get together and say how does this person want to be engaged with you? Now, an old frame would say, well, everyone wants to be permanently employed. And for some and for many, that's still the case. But for the same outcome and the same person and the same result, you might be the person they choose, Renata, and you might say, for me to do this piece of work, I choose to do it through my own company. And client will say, fine, I don't care how we get you, Renata, you're the one we want. Um, so I think what COVID essentially changes forever is the nature of the engagement of the contract engagement mm. doesn't change the outcome of what your skills are and what you deliver for a business yeah now that will be very interesting to see i um will be watching this closely won't we <laughs> we will <laughs> as, and um do you you know as we kind of get to the tail end of this interview do you have any advice for those who are listening and are in between jobs not just the ones that are in the c-level and heads of role but you know we have a lot of people that are mid-career rising stars 
they might they might be project managers, they might be HR partners, uh, advisors, officers who are kind of up and coming, and um, again will be um, considering either moving into sort of gig gig roles or permanent roles. Do you have any advice for them as they move into this new era of employment? Yeah. Um, two things, I've got some advice, but I'll also sort of, while well, I work with people at the, the, my business is working with people at the top end of the sort of employment chain. So, um, what I am seeing is that the younger generation coming through us are entering the marketplace with a gig mindset. So for mm-hmm. anyone who um, is below a Gen X, they would look at the idea of one company for life or, for, you know, any time. It's just so old-fashioned, it's silly, ridiculous, not something they'd contemplate or enjoy. So my part of the world is working with people who are the paradigm has shifted in the middle of their game, whereas for, you know, others listening to this podcast, they, this probably seems so normal and so natural. This is how you work now. So I think the advice to people about if this is how you work now, you become skilled at your craft, whatever your craft is, you have a real commitment to yourself to stay ahead of the curve, you know, to continually learn and define what you do in terms of what would someone buy from you. And you, so you almost have to think of yourself as me ink or a product. Because people are going to be borrowing bite-sized chunks of what you do for them. So how do you define what it is you do and how do you stand out in the marketplace with a really crisp product so that people can understand how they can engage you? And um, the, the, the challenge we often have coming from the paradigm we've known, which is always going for a permanent job, is permanent jobs essentially are buying your generalist skills often they're buying your your runway so they're buying your potential and they're buying your most roles are aspirational you want to be the ceo or the cfo or you want to be this role so for the the most part you're taking these steps and there's a gap and the the business is allowing that gap to happen because they'll train you up and, and and coach you a lot of that training up capacity sits back with us now. So you have to own your interest. You have to stay ahead. You can't sit back and sort of think that it's anyone else's job to keep you current. And that would be my biggest advice. Think of what's your product. Um, the real beauty on this will be we'll be able to do the pieces of work that we enjoy doing. When you're in a forever role, a permanent role, there's parts of every role that you enjoy and there's parts of every role that are sort of the more tedious. And if you're biting this down into bite-sized chunks and you're deciding to work for six or eight months of the year, you know, the, the four to six months you don't work is the stuff you didn't like doing. If, if you can really play this game well, you do mm. the pieces you like. And I, um, there was a really uh, seminal article by the Harvard Business Review, and I'll, I'll wrap up with that if you want, that refer to this as the um, the Hollywood model because Hollywood are the ultimate in getting the right people together for a project. They know how to pull the best screenwriter, the best makeup artist, the best director, the best actors, and they produce a product and then they all disband. 
And and that's essentially what interim is. You have to know, do you choose to be the best makeup artist or director or writer? And then be your craft, own your craft. There's a lot of out-of-work actors in Hollywood, right? Because you have to be the top of your game to get the gig. Um, and I think it won't be any different in, um, in the world we all work. You have to stay ahead. You have to put yourself on the projects that you know, surround yourself with other people who you do learn from, but your craft is your craft and you keep developing it and you own the responsibility. I think for many years we sort of joined an organisation, you know, as a, maybe a graduate, and then it was, there was a two-way contract that says, I'll be loyal to you for 30 years if you train me up and keep finding me my next job. And, yeah. and somewhere along the way that no longer exists, rightly or wrongly, but if that doesn't exist, then it's no one else's responsibilities but yours to drive your own career. And no one is interested is as interested in you doing interesting work as yourself. Yep, this is great. Jacinta, thank you so much for this interview. I pleasure. think it's going to be one of the most popular ones out there for sure. Um, my absolute pleasure. Thanks, Renata. I hope you found this episode useful and that it helps your job hunting and career plans. Don't forget to subscribe and follow me on social media and on your favorite podcast app. And please join the Reset Your Career community so I can send you free tools and resources to make your career advancement more successful. See you next time.